I tell you, what, what, what an amazing thing to be pouring into the lives of our, of our next generation. Um, and I just appreciate Kyle and all the different student ministry leaders that are doing just that. I am going to dismiss our Kickstart kids right now. So if you are in fourth and fifth grade, get on out of here. Come on, a couple weeks in a row now. All right. It, man, it, it's been an amazing morning so far. Uh, I'm grateful for all of you being here that we can worship together. Um, yesterday we had... Uh, an amazing time at uh, Andy Williams' uh, Celebration of Life. Um, as I mentioned last week, um, one, of our, one of our very own Andy Williams passed away, and it was probably my favorite, this is going to sound weird, it was probably my favorite funeral that I've been able to be at. And, I mean, just the stories about just what an amazing man he is, and so I just want to thank uh, the Williams family again. Can we just show, show some love to the Williams family? We love you guys. Every single one of you. So um, we, we've been in our, our series that we've been calling LSC Wrestling, where we've been talking just about some of the different areas in our faith walk, in our faith journey, that aren't always black and white, that, that sometimes there's a lot of gray areas, and, and we have to wrestle with some of those different things, some of those different areas from time to time. And, and as followers of Jesus, like talking about how do we, how do we faithfully live out this thing called uh, Christianity in all, in all aspects of, of our lives. And our theme verse that we've been sharing comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, where from the message paraphrase it says, We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. And, and this morning, as, as we close out our, our LSC Wrestling series, I, wa- I want to take a look at something that has really been weighing on my heart for quite, for quite a while. It, th- this, is, this is an area, this is a topic that, uh, that, that me personally, I've had to wrestle with, I've had to contend with. And it's something for all of us as a church body as a church family for us to wrestle with too, that, that we've probably all dealt with to one degree or another. And, and it's also an area that we have to be okay being uncomfortable with, especially when it comes to what we were just talking about a moment ago about reaching our next generation. That young people today, even in conversations I've had with a number of our students here at our church, that if we, that if, if we don't handle this topic well, our young people will end up leaving the church and leaving the faith. And, and that's not, it's not a threat, it's a fact. And the topic we're, I want to talk about this morning is how do we handle our doubts? How do, how do we handle the areas where, where, we, where we doubt, where we have questions? How do, how do we deal with uncertainty? How do we deal with people or how do we deal with ourselves when, when, we're, when we start to question some of the bedrock foundational areas of our faith journey? And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at what doubt is, how it can be actually a good thing, and how we can build our lives of faith through our doubt, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our questions. Now, I have a, an observation about human nature that, that I actually find fairly amusing, that, that I'm quite certain every one of us in the room have experienced at one time or another. And, and, I'll, and I'll just confess this and be ugly with you about this. This is something that I've done more times than I probably care to admit. But how many times, why, like, why is it that when we see other people who are struggling with something, it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves? 
Like, and, and, and it's not, you know, and you probably know what I'm saying. Like, I, I was, I was talking with, with, uh, with some people this morning, and Meredith actually shared the, this thought, and I thought, oh, no, that's, that's great. I'm going to share that. Like, if you remember when you were back in school, and maybe some of you, like, you had to work hard to get the grades that you had. You, you studied. You, you, I mean, you had to toil to get C's. And then there were the people that you just despised who, like, never cracked a book, never did the homework, and yet still got A's. Like, how many, like, you, those people just drove you nuts, Right? And I apologize to any of you that were, that were those people that are in the room this morning. But if one of those people that just always got A's, if all of a sudden they just bombed a test and they just failed, like, didn't it make you feel a little bit better about yourself? You're like, yes. You know, you know like, I, I mean, like, we, we, we've all been there at, at one point or another where, where, like, all right, your struggle actually makes me feel a little bit better about me. About, about my situation, like, you're, you're, you're normal, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not quite on this pedestal that I had you on, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I find certain passages in the Bible that actually speak to me in that way too, where you see people that are written about in Scripture that are struggling with something, and it actually makes me feel a little bit better about myself when I see their struggle, and, and one, one such instance happened after the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus had, he'd been crucified, he'd been in the, in the tomb for three days, he emerged triumphantly, defeating, defeating death, and, and he makes a series of what theologians call the post-resurrection appearances, that, that Jesus makes appearances to his followers in, in the days after his, his resurrection. In fact, scripture records 13 such appearances where um, he, he walked with the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the women at the tomb. He ate with some of them. And, and one of those is recorded in Matthew chapter 28. And so in, in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And, and it's that last phrase after the semicolon that I actually find encouraging to me. That some doubted. Guys that had walked with Jesus... For three years, guys that had seen him perform miracles, guys that, that had listened to his teaching, that had sat at his feet, that had pretty much lived their lives with him for three years, guys that had heard him prophesy that he was going to die and come back to life, still had some doubts. Even they still had some doubts. Like even these guys, Jesus, Jesus' closest followers, his closest friends, still wrestled with some doubt. And, and man, that makes me feel a little bit better about some of the doubts I've struggled with because I've never seen Jesus. I didn't walk with Jesus. I didn't see him perform miracles. I, I, I wasn't there when he was on the cross. I wasn't there when he emerged from the tomb. And guys that were, if they had doubts, surely makes me feel a little bit better about some of the doubts that I've had in my life. I, I don't know if you're like me at all, but, but there are moments where God just feels so real and so close it almost feels like like you can touch him where, where where like his presence is so near that it just moves you in ways that are hard to describe and then there are times where God feels so distant where it feels the exact opposite saying all right God where are you are you even real I've been praying about something and nothing's been happening or bad things start to happen and you're having to walk through a difficult time and, and if and if we're honest those are moments when doubts can start to creep in and and doubt for a believer can actually feel like a very scary thing. It can feel very scary because we feel like, all right, 
I shouldn't be dealing with doubt. And, and maybe there's some condemnation there. You know, like, if, if we're honest, we, we probably want to talk to people about some of the questions that we have, some of the doubts that we have. And, and yet, in those moments, oftentimes we don't reach out. Because you think, all right, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way. What are other people going to think if they hear about the questions that I have, the doubts that I have? And the condemnation of, like, no, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've committed my life to him. I shouldn't be dealing with, I shouldn't be wrestling with these types of doubts. And so oftentimes we keep it to ourselves. We struggle in silence. And so I don't know about you, but the question, like, have you ever had to wrestle with doubt about the things that you believe? Have you ever had to wrestle with doubt about the things of God? And, and I can see several reasons for why we often will struggle with, with doubt. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first one is that sometimes we can doubt when we have questions that we can't answer. Questions that we can't answer. That maybe we read something in the Bible, maybe we, we hear something in a sermon, or, or, or um, you know, like we, we, we hear some kind of like uh, doctrinal theological position, and, and we have a hard time squaring it with our, with, with our lived reality. And, and so we just have questions of, all right, this isn't making sense to me. And doubt can sometimes creep in there. Sometimes we doubt because we have situations that seem unfair. Situations that seem unfair. Like, all right, I've prayed about that thing. I know that God can do it, and yet he's not doing it. So maybe God just, maybe he's not even there. Maybe God doesn't actually love me. Or maybe I've seen this bad thing happen to this good person, or this good thing happen to this bad person, and it just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair. Or sometimes doubt can come because we have hurts that we can't resolve. Hurts that we can't resolve. Maybe there's, there's somebody that you really looked up to that professed to be a, a, a believer and then they did something terrible that let us down. Or maybe, they're, they're, maybe uh, they're, uh, we had this thought in our head that the church was a safe place and something happened to us or to somebody that we love that actually showed us that maybe church was not as safe as we thought it was. And, and we have some hurts that we can't resolve. All these different things can sometimes play into these doubts that we have. And, and I had a moment like that in my faith walk as well, that the, I, I, I came to faith in Christ when I was 18 years old. And, and the church that, that Ansel and I were, were a part of, like, I, I, let me back up. I'm, I ask a lot of questions. I, I don't want to just like go along with the flow. I want to understand, all right, but why? Why are we doing this thing? Why, why do we say this? Why, do we, why, do, why, do we, why does the church, um, why do we do this in the church setting? Why do people believe this? And why need to have an understanding of why? And, and when I would ask those questions, I, I would be ridiculed for it. That I, you know, I was told, well, I just didn't have enough faith. I just needed to trust God even when I didn't understand. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you've ever heard the like the lousy bumper sticker theology of the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Like, and that, and that's, that's just, like, life is complicated. And it's not always black and white. And, and if we don't allow, allow ourselves, and if we don't allow others the grace to wrestle and to struggle and to question and to doubt, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage that takes place in our lives and in, in the spiritual lives of those around us. 
And so what I would argue this morning is that our doubts, if handled properly, can actually be a catalyst to a stronger faith. The doubts and the struggles, the things that we wrestle with, can actually be a catalyst to a, a stronger faith. That instead of our doubts actually leading us away from God, they can actually propel us into a deeper and a closer relationship with Him. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. That our faith is a journey, it's not a destination. Our faith is a journey, it's not a destination. When I, when I graduated from college, I had completed all my courses, I'd written all my papers, taken all my exams, I had fulfilled all my credits, and I walked across the stage and they handed me my diploma. But, but our faith isn't like that. We never arrive, we, we never graduate. We are going to be constantly growing, constantly challenged, constantly developing, constantly learning new lessons. Like in, in this life, we're never going to graduate with honors. We're never going to receive our diploma in faith. It's not a destination. It's a journey. You, you've heard me use this verbiage many, many times about our faith walk, about our faith journey, and that's highly on purpose because our faith is not a destination that we arrive at, but it's a journey. It's a process that we are continually moving in. And for those in the room who are parents... Like, you're going to come to a, a place where your kids are going to start to ask you some really tough questions. You'll come to a place where, where your kids start to, to challenge, where they might wrestle with some doubt. And in those moments, we don't need to panic. We don't need to worry when those hard questions and when those complicated questions come our way. That it's, it's a part of the growing process of our children owning their own faith. Not even just kids, but other people, just believers around us. That when we're asking those questions, it's, the, it's part of the process of owning the faith for myself. That our kids can't just rely on the faith of their parents. They have to be able to own it for themselves. And sometimes that deals with handling doubt, wrestling with tough, complicated questions that maybe we don't always have the answer to. In those moments, it's not a time to panic, but it's a time to process. It's a time to talk. And, and, I'll, and I'll say this. The church in the home should be the safest place for people to ask tough questions. The church in the home should be the safest place that people can come and they can wrestle honestly and have real, honest questions about where they are, about what this means. That, and, and I want you to know that the strongest faith is not the faith that never doubts. But the strongest faith is the faith that continues on through our doubts. And, and, and I, what I would say is, one of Jesus' closest friends, Thomas, is, is, a, is a, uh, a, a huge indicator of that exact thing. In John chapter 20, verse 24, John writes, he says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So this is talking about one of those post-resurrection appearances. That Jesus came, he appeared to the, the 11 disciples, but Thomas was not there in that moment. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Like there, There's a reason that Thomas is colloquially, colloquially named Doubting Thomas, or called Doubting Thomas. And I'm convinced that Thomas, quite honestly, has gotten a bad rap for, for this. Like, the only reason those other jokers actually believed that Jesus was, was real and had actually come back to life is because they were there, they saw him. 
that if they had not been there, we'd be talking about doubting Bartholomew right now. Like, like and, and it's purely my opinion, but, but I think Thomas is kind of like me. He's kind of like many of, of you in the room, that, he, that he's a realist. Thomas has been through life. He's dealt with some stuff. He's experienced some disappointment along the way in his life. And he was a guy that struggled with some very honest, very real questions. Questions don't make you bad. They make you human. In fact, Oswald Chambers actually wrote this once. He said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he's thinking. And I love that quote. I love that quote. And I'll say it like this. Your doubts don't disqualify your faith. The doubts that we struggle with, the doubts that we wrestle with, don't disqualify our faith. I, I don't have time to go through all of the examples right now this morning, but there's multiple times in Jesus' ministry where Thomas poses questions towards Jesus about things that he doesn't understand why this is going on. What, can you please explain this to me? And, and, and again, because he wanted to know for himself. He, he was trying to own it and wrestle with it for himself. And, and let me reiterate that, that our doubts don't disqualify our faith. And, and I can say that because of how Jesus responded to Thomas's doubts. That if you read the next verses, in verse 26, it says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. So eight days after, they had come and talked with Thomas and said, hey, we saw the Lord. And Thomas said, all right, I'm not going to believe it unless I can actually put my fingers where the nails were and stick my hand in the side where he was, where he was pierced. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. And, and there's something I want you to see here. Eight days passed, and Thomas showed back up. Like, even though he was doubting, even though Thomas was like, ah, I, I, all right, you, you said that Jesus was here, you said you saw him again, I'm not so sure. Thomas didn't just walk away and said, all right, you know what, this is all a bunch of bunk, I'm out of here. He showed back up. He was still, he was still around. And, and I want to thank those of you in the room that even in the midst of your doubts that you're still showing up, that you're still here that you're still wrestling with them. And John goes on to say that the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he looks directly at Thomas. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put, my, put your hand into my wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas explained, my Lord and my God. Like, like, how did Jesus respond to somebody who was struggling with doubt? He didn't shun him. He didn't push him away. He didn't ridicule him. Didn't rebuke him. In fact, he came close. And I want you to write this down, that God is not distant in our doubt. That when we are struggling with, with, with a crisis of faith, when we're struggling with our doubts, Jesus isn't distant. No, he actually draws near to us. He's not a standoff savior, but he wants us to touch him. He wants us to draw close to him. Like we can ask questions of Jesus. We can wrestle with him. We can complain to him. We can struggle. Thomas had doubts. He had questions of Jesus. And, and the great news about Jesus's story and for every one of us in this room, this, the next point I want to share is that the greatest doubters often become the strongest believers. The greatest doubters often 
will become the strongest believers. The story of Thomas doesn't end with him doubting and questioning Jesus' resurrection. After, after, you know, he, he, after he'd flat said, all right, I'm not going to believe unless I actually touch the scars, unless I actually touch where Jesus was pierced. That after that, he, he went and he fulfilled the Great Commission. That Thomas went around the world spreading the good news about Jesus. And tradition says that, that Thomas was so committed to the, his faith that he was martyred for it in India, where he, he was stabbed in the belly with, with a spear for, not, for refusing to renounce his faith. That this man who questioned the very resurrection of the Lord that he walked with for three years and said, all right, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it for myself. The very one who struggled with doubt was willing to go to, to his grave, willing to go to his own death for his faith. The greatest doubters often can become the strongest believers. And, and that idea that our faith is not a destination, but it's a journey. It's a journey that God has us on. And in talking about doubt, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about what happens with some of those who have questions that didn't find answers to, who have hurts that never healed or have spiritual doubts that were never adequately addressed. Like while, while our doubts can propel us to a deeper and greater faith, our doubts, if not handled properly, can also drive us or drive people away from Jesus as well. And as a, as a body of believers, instead of standing in judgment of people who have struggled with or walked away from the faith, I've heard people, well, I guess they were never, never really a believer to begin with. They must have some sort of sin in their life. They, they, they just want to go do their own thing. And instead of standing in judgment of people that are wrestling and struggling with their faith, that, that we would have a heart of humility and compassion for those that are wrestling right now. There, there's a term that's used today um, a, a lot in, in Christian circles, Christian academic circles, that talks about this very thing. It's called spiritual deconstruction. And I, like, raise your hand if you've ever heard or are aware of the term spiritual deconstruction. All right, there, there, just a few. Okay. And, and, and really, this is a, it's, a, it's a controversial, highly emotionally charged subject. It, it's not a new concept. It's, it's a new term that we've coined. It, it's something that has gone on for centuries. But I think part of the struggle has been there's no real single definition for it of, of what does spiritual deconstruction actually mean. And, and so I'm going to share with you my opinion on this, that there is a healthy way to, to spiritually deconstruct and an unhealthy way to do it as well. Done poorly, it can be devastating. It, 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 this idea that, all right, I've been hurt by some Christians, and now I'm going to write off all Christians. I've been hurt by a church, and now I'm going to write off all churches as a, as a result. Like there, there are some pastors who, who preach against this idea of spiritual deconstruction, that it's a scourge on the faith, that people just, just wanting to live however they want to live and rebelling against the church, rebelling against the Bible, that they were never really saved to begin with. And, and that's so unhelpful to those who are struggling and wrestling with matters of faith. And, I, and I'll, t I'll tell you, like my, my take on it is that spiritual deconstruction done well can actually help us grow amazingly in our spiritual faith and our spiritual walk. I, I, I heard a pastor share a definition of spiritual deconstruction done well, and I want to share it with you right now. 
And deconstruction, he said, is a sincere, and I want to underscore that, a sincere examination of our beliefs, seeking to let go of what is untrue and hold on to what is true. It's a sincere examination. All right, what do I actually believe? Why do I believe it? And letting go of things that are not true and holding on to things that are. Like, what, what are the things that, that I've been believing, the things that I've been taught? And sincerely taking a look at them, holding on to what is true and discarding what isn't. Like, th- this is not, all right, I don't, I don't like what Scripture teaches on this subject, so I'm just going to choose to ignore it. This is not like a, I get to pick and choose what I want to believe. But it's a sincere investigation and exploration into what does it truly mean to be a follower of Jesus, not just what others maybe have said about what it looks like or what it ought to be. And I, I would make the argument that Jesus actually helped people deconstruct in his teaching. In, in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, he's talking to the people on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you've heard, it, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like five times in Matthew 5, Jesus says, all right, you've heard it said, but now I'm telling you this. He's saying, all right, those things that you had taught, those things that you believed before are not actually true. You've heard it said this, but that's not the way. I'm telling you, I'm sharing with you what is the real way, what what does it really look like? That, That this idea that some of what I've been taught, some of what I've believed over the years may not be true. It may not be accurate. Jesus did this with Peter. That there was a time where where Jesus, he was teaching about how he was going to be crucified, he was going to rise from the dead, and and Peter rebukes Jesus. He says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. What are you talking about? And And this is Pat's paraphrase. And Jesus says, no, 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 you, you thought that I was going to be this conquering king, but no, 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 I'm actually a suffering servant. You, you thought I was going to achieve victory through conquest, but actually I'm going to bring victory through sacrifice. Like he, he's, he's saying, all right, Peter, these things that you thought, these things that you believed are not true. I want you to let go of those, and I want you to hold on to what actually is true. And every one of us, we all hold beliefs let me, let me back up. Every one of us here, our beliefs have been shaped by so many different factors. Like through, throughout time, billions of people have read, have read the Bible and arrived at very different conclusions about what it teaches on, on all kinds of different things. Because every one of us, we bring different filters into our faith walk, into our faith journey. The way that we were raised, the church that we grew up in, the church that we're in now. Our family dynamics, our backgrounds, our cultural experiences, where we live in the world, what time we lived in history. Like all of these different things influence how we, how we believe, how we approach the scriptures. And the reality is that some of our beliefs about God, about scripture, about humanity are not true. Every one of us in the room right now, we hold some beliefs about God, about scriptures, about humanity that aren't true. That no matter how many theological degrees that we might have, how long you've been walking with Jesus, some of our beliefs that we've held on to, maybe some of the things that that we just are totally committed to, might not actually be true. Not everything we've picked up along the way, we should have picked up. 
And it's because we're human. It, it, it's, it's because that, that, we, that we are human beings. People, people add things to, to the Bible. They add things to, to Scripture. They add things to tradition all the time. When I was growing up, we used to go to my grandma's house, and, and my grandma was an avid card player. Like, we played cards all the time, but not on Sunday. Like, like that, we could not play cards on Sunday. In, in my hometown of Milwaukee, there, there's a re- really large German and Polish Catholic population. And there's a tradition that you did not eat meat on Fridays. And so all throughout Milwaukee, there are fish fries every single Friday night that have carried on from this. So, you know, there are tr- Christian traditions that say you can't go to the movie theater. You can't date. The dancing's not allowed. I, I, I heard a joke one time. And I apologize to any Baptists that might be in the room. <laughs> but I said that the reason, the reason Baptists can't have premarital sex is because it might lead to dancing. And, and, and that just cracked. <laughs> you know, there's some that, that believe, all right, if you're a real Christian, you have to vote red. If you're a real Christian, you have to vote Blue, like I, I was taught early on that if I, if I had a lustful thought and I walked out and got hit by a garbage truck and I had not repented, I had not confessed that lustful thought, I was going to go straight, straight, well, as they say down south, straight to hail. You, you know, like, and, and it's natural for us one day to wake up and, and recognize that not everything we have believed about God is true. And when we discover that parts of what we believe are not true, it doesn't mean we have to leave the faith. It doesn't mean we have to throw it all away when we realize, all right, there are some things, some aspects of, of my faith, some aspects of my belief that are not actually the case. There are some things that the church, that Christians have taught and believed that aren't actually the case, and we don't need to walk away from all of it just because of some bad issues. And let me give you an example of what I mean. I, I, I know somebody that he had some daughters that had some chronic health issues, and it was discovered that in between the, the wall in between the two daughters' rooms was infested with black mold. I, I, and, you know, the kind that just makes you really, really sick. And I'm just going to use the term. They had to deconstruct those rooms and rebuild it. It didn't mean they had to burn down the whole house. It didn't mean they had to destroy everything and walk away. No, no, no. I just had to fix the issues that were there but I didn't have to abandon the whole thing. And the same is true with us, that when we discover that some of what we have believed may not be true, we don't have to scrap the whole thing. We don't have to walk away from the faith. Let's tear down and deconstruct what's bad and actually rebuild upon what is good. And so I want to I close with a, with a final thought this morning just about, about doubt, about our faith walk and our faith journey. And I'm going to be honest with you, what I'm about to share is purely speculation on my part. So this is not, this is not gospel. This is, this is speculation in my opinion on it. But thinking back when we were talking about Peter just a few moments ago, that when, when Jesus was on trial and when he was being interrogated, Peter denied Jesus three times. Not, that's not the part that I'm speculating about. That part's fact. But when Peter 
when Peter denied Jesus, I wonder if he was having some doubts in that moment about who Jesus was. That Peter, who, who had boldly proclaimed not that long before that, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. And now he sees Jesus shackled. Jesus being interrogated. He, he sees Jesus being beaten and brought, you know, put up in these, in these monkey trials. And I, and I wonder if Peter began to have doubts saying, maybe he's not really who I thought he was. Maybe he's not really the Son of God because this isn't working out like I thought it was going to work out. And this is the part I'm speculating. I wonder if Peter started having some doubts. Do I really want to put my neck out there for somebody who's not really who I thought he was? And he ended up denying Jesus three times. And in one of the post-resurrection appearances, Jesus has a very intimate encounter, an intimate moment with Peter, where he restores Peter, that Peter had denied Jesus three times, and Jesus asks him a series of questions three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter says, well, yes, I love you. And Jesus' response each time was, I want you to feed my sheep. And in this moment... Jesus took somebody who I think probably had some sincere doubts about who Jesus was and completely restored him. That, that, in, that, he, that, that Peter's doubts did not disqualify him from being used by God. Because if you think about it, on the day of Pentecost, who did God choose to be the one to speak? And, and that 3,000 people were saved. It was Peter that Jesus chose. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. It's often an invitation to a growing faith. And that's what happened with Thomas. That's what happened with Peter. And so I want, I want to encourage us today that if you're struggling and you're wrestling with doubt, it doesn't mean that you are a substandard Christian. It doesn't mean that, that all right, you know what, maybe this whole thing, I just need to walk away. It means that you're normal. It means that you're keeping company with guys like Thomas, like Peter. Great men and women of faith throughout time, throughout history, have wrestled with and struggled with their doubts. And it's okay. I want you to know that it's okay. And about 30 years after Pentecost, Peter wrote something in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. And he said, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Like a sheep that had gone astray, the, the, a sheep that had, had wrestled with maybe some doubts, maybe walked away for a period of time, appears saying, but you returned. You came back to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls, that, that, that our, doubt, our doubts don't disqualify our faith, that we can always come back to him. We can continue to show up, that our doubts don't have to drive us away from Jesus, but he welcomes all who are struggling. In their faith. He welcomes all who are wrestling with their doubts. And not only does he welcome them, but he also uses them. And my, my prayer for anybody in the room here this morning that maybe has been wrestling with doubt, or maybe you have children or loved ones who are, who are wrestling with doubt, dealing with some faith, faith crises, I want you to take those doubts to God. Talk to him about them. And I guarantee you, the same way that Jesus responded to Thomas, 
He'll respond to you. He's not going to push you away. Jesus isn't going to rebuke you for having questions. He's not going to, he's not going to come down on you because you're struggling, believing. He's going to say, hey, put your fingers here. Put your hand here. I, I'm going to draw near to you in the middle of your doubt. You're not going to be judged. You're not going to be condemned. And I also want to share with you that if you're wrestling with doubts, I, I want you to feel free to be vulnerable. You, you can talk to myself. You can talk to one of our elders. You can talk to some other, uh, uh, some other person you know, who, who is spiritually mature in your life that you trust, that you're not going to be looked down upon because you're having doubts and you're, having, and you're struggling and you're wrestling. No, in fact, what I would say is, no, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for wrestling with it. I'm proud of you for showing up. I'm proud of you for processing and thinking through it. And let's do it together. I may not have all the answers, but let's do it together. That, that's, what the, that's what the body of Christ, that's what this faith community is all about, that we support one another and we walk through those moments together. So if you would, would you bow your heads as I pray right now? Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, God, that you are so good and so kind and so gracious. God, that in the, in the middle of those moments where we struggle, in the middle, middle of those times where, where we are doubting, God, that you don't push us away, that you are near, that you are close by. God, that you don't rebuke us, you don't, you don't ridicule us, you don't look down on us, Lord, but that you draw near. You welcome us in. You say, no, 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 put your fingers here. See, see for yourself. You can put your hand in my side. I'm I'm there. I'm walking with you. And Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning that maybe are struggling with their faith, that maybe have, have questions that haven't been answered. They have hurts that have not been healed. Things that have not seemed fair. Lord, in, in those moments, Lord, I pray, Father, that they would come to you, that they would come to, to other people, other mature believers, and, and just, be, just be honest, just share with where they are, knowing that they're not alone. They're not a substandard believer. They're not a substandard person because we're having doubts and we're wrestling and we're struggling. But God, in the middle of that, that, that we know that, no, 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 our, our doubts don't disqualify us. They don't disqualify our faith. In fact, God, you use, you use the people that have struggled with those doubts to do and accomplish amazing things for your kingdom. So Lord, I just pray for encouragement for those that are asking those questions that don't, they don't have answers for. Maybe they have loved ones. Maybe they have kids who've turned away and walked away from the church, dealing with, with family members or even themselves of, of, of trying to, the, going through the spiritual deconstruction of, of trying to say, what, why do I actually believe the things I do? And Lord, that you would help us to hold on to those things that are true and to discard those things that are not. And that as a faith community, Lord, we would rally around. There would not be judgment but God, that we would be a support, we would be a help, we would be there for one another in those moments. God, we love you so much. God, thank you for being so good to us. Even in those times of questioning and doubting, God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church family. Um, if you